Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Thank you for downloading. I was about to say tuning in, but uh, that's obviously very old-time radio, um, and that's not what we do here. Anyways, I'm your host, Ray Harkins, and we are talking about episode number 10 currently. We have hit double digits. We are so official. That means 10 weeks in a row. I haven't fucked up and missed a week in posting, so I'm proud of myself. Pat me on the back. Um, anyways, our uh, guest this week is uh, Brett Rasmussen from Ignite. He is the bass player and uh, founding slash original member. He also currently plays in a band called Nations of Fire, and uh, he's done a bunch of other stuff musically as well, um, which you will find out when you listen to the interview. But before we get into that, some housekeeping slash business slash observations. Subscribe on iTunes. You will get it every week. I know I've said this for a lot of episodes now, but some people don't do that. So I just dropped my pen. I apologize. Go to iTunes, subscribe. You will get a new episode every Tuesday morning. Um, and that way, uh, yeah, you're up to date with everything. Whether or not you listen to it once a week or whether you just decide to binge on it for you know, an entire week of listening to like six episodes. I don't care as long as you're getting it because I'm doing this for you just as much as I'm doing it for me. Um, and then also, if you do feel like throwing some more love our direction, rate. When I say our, my direction, this is all self-gratifying in some way, shape, or form. But anyways, go to iTunes, rate it, give us what your honest opinion is. If you think the show sucks, give us one star, that's totally fine. Or five stars if you're like, this is good, keep it going. Um, and then we, you can also follow us on Twitter, at 100wordspodcast, and you can also like the show on Facebook. So just type in 100 words or less and you'll find it. Um, I try to do some stuff on each of those networks, you know, maybe once or twice a week. Observations or just future guests and stuff like that. So do all that stuff. Um, we are also part of the Punk News Podcast Network. Uh, punknews.org is a incredible website where you can visit it and find out all the information about your favorite bands and what they're doing on new records or tours or whatever the case may be. So um, it's definitely one of the leading sites on the interwebs as far as that stuff is concerned. And they also have a uh, great wealth of podcasts that they do. So uh, yeah, check it out and you can find more information out on the site and uh, just typing it into iTunes as well. Um, so I'm excited because I get to later on this evening, I'm recording this kind of in advance from this uh, this episode when it's actually going to air. Uh, I'm excited because I'm going to the a few of the Revelation Records 25th anniversary shows. Um, Revelation Records is an insanely important label for me and I know a lot of other people in regards to independent music. Um, you know, they released Gorilla Biscuits, Youth of Today, Sick of It All. Uh, you name it, they've probably touched it in some way, shape, or form. Um, and just because the label is local, I've had a very close relationship with a lot of people there over the years. Um, friends of mine have worked there. And so it's very interesting to have that perspective of being touched by this label and then getting to know all the people that were, you know, help that essentially will a person like Jordan, who is the president, CEO, originator of the label. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really interesting, but it's cool because they're putting on these shows here in Southern California where a lot of bands who contributed to 
Revelation Records catalog are playing, reuniting, you know, bands like Game Face, Sensefield, Kiss a Goodbye, Quicksand. There's, yeah, the list can go on and on. Uh, the show sold out very quickly, um, and it's very exciting. But it got me thinking on the topic of reunions, because I know a lot of people, um, especially people that are over the age of 30, such as myself, uh, have a mixed feeling about reunions, and uh, I just kind of wanted to share my own personal opinion on them, just because I've seen, well, I've seen a lot of them, and I've also participated in one myself with my old band Taken. Um, but my... My personal opinion on reunions is I'm not against them by any means because um, there are people who are just like, I will I fuck that. I will not watch a band. You know, there was a time and a place for that. Um, and I totally I get that because there are times where um, I've seen bands come back. Like I'm trying to think of a specific example. OK, I remember when in the early 2000s when uh, Coalesce kind of came one of their many sort of comebacks. Um, I wasn't interested in seeing them, and I didn't see them when they came through and toured with a really good friend's band, Curl Up and Die. Um, I just, I had no desire because I had seen them once or twice back in the day, or, you know, when they were originally around. Um, and it was such a mesmerizing show for me that I didn't really want to taint it if they had any less intensity. And obviously, as you get older, you tend to not, uh, you, you tend to be more aware of yourself in regards to, hey, maybe I shouldn't throw myself in a crowd of people and stab myself with a guitar, whatever. Not to say that you have to do that in order to make a compelling show, but Coalesce was just crazy. So I didn't see them when they did that, but then I saw them, uh, I want to say in 2009, at one of the very first Scion Rock Festivals. Um, it was in the basement of this venue called The Masquerade in Atlanta, Georgia. And they were actually really good. It was a good atmosphere because they were just, you know, packed into this super, super small place. Um, so, and they sounded good. But then um, a lot of other people saw them later on when they did like another free show in Los Angeles with the cave-in. And they said that it wasn't very good. I didn't go out to it kind of for that specific reason. but And I'm not picking on Coalesce because, you know, they are still very active as far as recording new music and putting it out there. And all their new stuff I really, really enjoy. But So, yeah, my rule of thumb with reunions. As long as a band retains some sense of intensity um, of what they kind of did when they first were around, then I'm all for it. Um, obviously we had two huge high profile reunions this past year with Refuse and at the drive-in. Um, and I did get a chance to see Refuse at a very small venue, the glass house. Um, and they were really good. Um, they, it was one of those things where I had never, I never saw them. So I was excited to see them, but I think no matter what my expectations were, uh, I was going to be let down because Refuse had been built up so much. Um, but they were really good nonetheless. Whereas at the drive-in, I just watched a live stream of them playing at Coachella, and it just kind of sounded flat. Um, when I had seen them when they were, you know, at their heyday, early, you know, late '90s, early 2000s, and it was, you know, they were bombastic and crazy, and they were just so on point with their music. But so yeah, that's kind of a rule of thumb with reunions. Uh, I definitely don't poo-poo them when they do happen uh, because sometimes it's special and you do get to see something uh, that you obviously never were able to see in the first place, but. Uh, tread lightly. Don't uh, you know? Don't drag your band's name through the mud if you really aren't prepared. Because uh, there's nothing worse than if a band comes back for 
whatever reason, and they just kind of sound sloppy, whatever, they look old, uh, and not even so much from a look perspective, but it just, you know, maybe sounds dated because they haven't really progressed as musicians on their own. Um, so there's just a lot of baggage that can be brought in with that. But regardless, I'm ecstatic to see a lot of these bands. So reunions, if you have thoughts on them, share it on the social networks and such. All right, now it's time for... I, I We need to come up with a name for your segment, Joey. I don't know what... Joey. I don't know what... Joey's Hot Corner. J- Joey's Hot Corner. <laughs> that makes it sound like you're going to recommend porn or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> well, uh, no, Joey will not be recommending porn, but he will be recommending some... This time. Uh, yes, this time. Maybe next time. But he will be recommending some uh, some good music. He's our music correspondent for 100 Words or Less. And, uh, yeah. How are you doing, Joey? Very good. How are you? I am I am well. I'm excited to hear. It's been a moment since you've been on the show, so I'm excited to hear what uh, what new records you may have. Uh, I have three, again, so okay. I'll make it, make it quick. That's okay. It doesn't need to be quick. Uh, just, just good. I hope. Uh, the first is a seven inch by a band from Canada called single mothers oh. that recently came out on secret voice, which is Jeremy from Touche's imprint. Be that wish. And this record is fantastic. Thoroughly, I'm, thoroughly impressed with it. Yeah. I, uh, I don't, I mean, this is pretty much how Jeremy described it. I mean, or how I, what I hear and how Jeremy described it kind of is, if the dude from Hold Steady sang for a hardcore band or a punk band. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I, yeah, I definitely hear that in, the, in his delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just dirty and aggressive and awesome. And I think this band has a lot of potential to do very cool things. Yeah, they def- I could easily see them, um, you know, playing to obviously the non-hardcore world where it's like they can fall into, you know, sort of like they could easily sign to like Matador and be okay on that label. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, like if they did like tour with the Bronx or fucked up or yeah, you know, damn like trash talk, like mm-hmm. none of those that seem too crazy. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yes, that record is awesome. Cool. You should, everyone should, everyone should go buy it. Seven. It's, it's cheap. Um, the next is the, New LP or debut LP from Expire on Bridge Nine called Pendulum Swings, um, and I've I've always liked this band, but this record is just hands down the best that they've ever done. The recording, like everything about it, the songwriting is just they've really stepped it up. Um, yeah, it's really good. The, I really enjoy again the uh, the singer's uh, delivery mm-hmm. is. It's, it's really cool. I think it's just the way what he does is different than most hardcore bands out there these days. Nice. Um, have you listened to this record? I, I listened to it once uh, on RDO, and um, yeah, it was good. I mean, nothing like immediately jumped out at me, um, but you know, it's the band is definitely solid in what they do. You know, like they've yeah, you f- you feel like they you know kind of know where their place is, and they're really comfortable playing what they're doing or doing. Yeah, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like they're comfortable. Yeah. They've kind of found their their voice, and now they can kind of just expand from there. 
I saw them. I mean, they've always been awesome live, and I saw them a couple weeks ago on that Cold World tour, and yeah, they just probably my favorite band all night. Like they were just super tight, you know, great reaction. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Nice. Um, and the last record is from uh, Regina Spector. It's called "We Came from the Cheap Seats." Uh, I've you're a big a fan. fan of, big fan. I've been a fan of hers for years, and I was very excited about this record. And at first, I didn't really. I guess I didn't like it because mm. it's it's just weirder than I think her last couple records. And she's always been kind of weird and quirky, but uh, I did not give up. And persistence paid off because now I love this record. Nice. Um, yeah, and there's a song on it called All of the Rowboats, I believe. Something about rowboats. It's song seven. And could be my favorite Regina Specker song uh, out of all of hers. So Nice. Yes. Oh. So, yeah. so if you like piano and uh, female-fronted singer-songwriter stuff, she is the one. I've never, I've never asked you about your own, because um, you know, I mean, do you like, like, uh, I mean, the obviously the A-listers in that category, like you know, like Tori Amos and like PJ Harvey. Well, PJ Harvey's obviously more electronic, but like, do you like people like that too? Uh, but that just maybe out of my own ignorance. Like, I've never right really listened to Tori Amos. Sure. Um, I mean, the ones I, you know, I really get behind are. Kay Nash, her first record, and Regina Spector. Those are probably my uh, my, my two go-tos. Got it. Got it. In, in that field, sure. Um, so. I did. I did want to ask you because I'm fairly certain that you are. Well, yeah. No, I'm. I'm, I'm guaranteeing that you're totally <laughs> on board with this. Uh, this artist. This. In, this independent upcoming artist who uh, I. I've. I mean, I'm not the only person that has said this, but this is the song of the summer. The, oh uh, yeah, I'm, you're oh yeah, Car- Carly Rae Jepsen, right? Yes, that's uh, that that. There's a song called "Call Me Maybe," which if you haven't heard it by this time, like you're you're not really paying attention, an idiot. right? You're, 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 or, you're, or you're, you're not paying attention, right? You're an idiot that is not paying attention. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah the song is incredible. It it honestly uh, it it reminds me of the same feeling that I got when Kelly Clark's like you know since you've been gone, was, yeah, yep, just great. <laughs> The craziest thing about it to me is that she's 26. Yeah. Like, that's old, but that's fine. Yeah. That's and the other thing about it is, when is an, the LP coming out? Like, I feel like this song's been out for for ages. Yeah. And I see nothing in, nothing in the future about more songs. She, yeah, she has, well, she has a other, she, the first, I, haven't, I haven't listened to it because I'm imagining it's not as good. Yeah, it's okay. But yeah, this I, I, I have no idea. I think well, because you know Bieber, Bieber discovered her. The Biebs, of course, the Biebs. So never say never. No, yeah. of course not. Um, so yeah, maybe it's just one of those things where it's like obviously they you know just wanted to get something quick to market and capitalize on how amazing this song is, and then it's like, okay, well this hit, so you're gonna get a record in like a year and a half. <laughs> you're gonna live off that this uh, this for a while, and then uh, right. Well, then, have you have you seen the video? Yeah, I I have seen the video. It's a little creepy. A little bit. I mean, like I don't I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I see. Uh, obviously, it completely matches up with the song and everything like that. But 
And it, it's it's funny at parts, but there there's moments where I'm like, that's a little creepy. Yeah, kind of stalkers, but that's fine. Yeah, it's okay. But who, uh, who hasn't stalked anyone before? You know, yeah, have, of course. I mean, you haven't truly lived until you've done that. I mean, I'm I'm standing outside someone's window right now. <laughs> Well, good. Well, I'm I'm glad that we are in uh, full agreement, and anybody that uh, yeah has ears should be in agreement as well. Exactly. Well, uh, thank you very much for your uh, your segment, and uh, have a lovely rest of the day. Why? Thank you. All right, as I mentioned previously, our guest this week is Brett Rasmussen, the bassist of Ignite. And I've known Brett for a while because I worked with him professionally when uh, I helped sign his band Ignite to Abacus Recordings, a division of Century Media Records. Um, And so he was the business guy of the band and still is. And so I worked with him a lot on helping set up records. And But my own previous love for Ignite goes all the way back to 14, 15 years old, where um, I don't even remember where I discovered Ignite, but uh, yeah, I, I tell Brett a story about uh, what Ignite meant to me and uh, the kind of fandom that I had for Ignite when I was uh, younger, and so yeah, that's where we'll uh, start the conversation, and uh, yeah, hope you enjoy. But I want to start things off with a, my own per, first personal experience with Ignite because I just thought it, it, it's so indicative of like what we experienced like coming up in you know like early mid '90s and that type of stuff. Yeah. Where because like I I mean I got into you guys I can't even remember like how I got introduced to you guys but I just remember where it was like I attached myself immediately because you know you were from the same area right. and it was like you guys were playing shows I just remember mail ordering a shirt from you guys from like your old like it was you know you send fourteen dollars conversion records totally yeah. and it was I think it was actually it might have been or I might have mail ordered it from conversion records yeah and then I saw you guys at a PO box and so I wrote a letter gotcha and so it I don't I I've literally never ever done that ever yeah. since I was just, I just felt like I I need to write right and so I wrote. And Zoli wrote me back and it was just like, it blew my mind because I was like, I wasn't expecting a response. Right. And so, I mean, in my own 14, 15 year old head, I was just like, oh, they, you know, they're, they're so busy. Right. And so when he wrote back and was just like, thanks for the support. And it was amazing because like, you know, included a flyer for an upcoming show. I think it was a show that you guys played at that very, very, very short lived Westminster Manor. Oh, the one show we did there. Right. With yeah. like Circle Storm at 1134. Yeah. yeah. But I just remember getting the letter and being, yeah, like I said, being so stoked. And I, I look back on my experience with that and yeah. then I kind of like compare it to what kids have now where it's like, I wonder if they get that same sort of sense of wonder or feeling when it's like, you know, is it the same thing as if a band tweets back at them? Right. Like, yeah, probably. You know, it's funny. We, we had the PO box. Obviously, we started the band before email. Right, of course. You know, before cell phones. <laughs> right. before, like, we were totally dating ourselves back in the olden days. Yeah. But, but No, but seriously, like, I remember going to Revelation Records and waiting for the fax to come from our European booking agent to see a fax of the tour dates. 
because that was like really the only way to verify what the dates were. Right. You wait for, so you get the thermal roll paper and then it's spitting out and it's printing all crappy and everything. And then right. you're like, oh, okay, that's, and then you look at, and you're always disappointed because most of it's not booked. Right. And most of the dates say TBA on it. And you're like, okay, oh, well, there's seven of the 53 dates are booked. <laughs> and, uh, but it's, yeah, just a different time. But back then it was, we had the P.O. box and the stuff actually, the, all the mail went to one of the band members parents house okay because it, it wasn't even a p.o box it was just a normal house address oh okay on there and uh and then so we would let the mail compile up for probably like two months three months right and then our guitar player at the time joe would come over with this cardboard box full of all these letters and we would dump it out on my kitchen table and we would dig it up in the floor and we would sit there and we would write every one of them back that's incredible and it's funny how so many people that i've met it's funny that zoli wrote you back i met like guys from bands <laughs> Um, this kid in Australia was in, um, ended up playing guitar in this band Vast, and now he's in, uh, what's the, uh, Joy Division kind of sounding band that on K-Rock, oh, something like, uh, she, she, she wants, no, she, she wants, she wants revenge. revenge. Yeah. yeah. So it's, really? Yeah. So he's playing in that band now. So I met him a long time ago when he was in this other band Vast that was kind of big for a while. Sure. And, oh yeah. Uh, I remember that. Band. Yeah. 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 And, uh, we got introduced and then he was like, do you play in Ignite? And I was kind of like. Yeah, yeah. he's like, you wrote me a letter to Australia when I was like 13. He's like, I saved the letter, put it on my wall. Right. So there's all these connections we made with all these people actually writing letters. And we always thought it was important to like, you know, to communicate, connect with the fans. Sure. We, we, and we'd make these flyers where half of it was like band info on it. And the other side, we'd just write a quick letter. Thanks, blah, blah. Right, right. That, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah that's right. It was the backside was on that. And, uh, and uh, so, yeah, it was cool. It was, I mean, guy, it was so much more time involved oh of course that. and then you know paying for the postage and you know, i know that's true that I, I didn't even i didn't even really reflect upon that part where it's just like that's a good like you know you guys would play you know a few local shows and be like all right well a hundred dollars is gonna go to postage yeah there's the stamps for the next batch of letters wow. but it was cool because uh i think i think it was just something kind of special that we did totally because a lot of i mean it's hard enough to i remember i mean the, when myspace was at its like peak and yep and people were sending you emails every day. I was literally at one point like 300 emails behind oh, for people. And a lot sure. of it was just like, you know, when are you coming to Kentucky? Right. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always had this mentality of like, okay, let's try and write everybody back. Right. So when MySpace went away and then Facebook, you couldn't get emails. It was like, it was a big day to celebrate. Right. <laughs> You're like, that's one less input. Oh and my I gosh. It was just like this daunting task <laughs> of like this pile of emails or letters that we always just had to like get taken care of and clean clean the slate so we could feel like you know we're not like because uh, it'd be a bummer to i always thought it would be a bummer just you know write a letter or right you know, your your favorite band or whatever and then yeah, 99 times out of 100 you're not going to get anything back but of that course. one time totally because somebody actually responds and it's cool man it's yeah yeah connect with the you know the your favorite band or whatever not even your favorite band just a band you have an interest in right and it is i mean obviously it humanizes it and like yeah. that that obviously is, is such an important component of independent music yeah. where you know it's like even though i'm up here playing on a stage it doesn't make me really any different from you right. just the fact that i decided to pick up a bass yeah like <laughs> right no and like i figure i've never written a band right so and i figure <laughs> most people never have totally so the people that are writing are really represent only representing a small portion of but they're rep kind of representing everybody else because most people don't write. So it's like right. that one guy that writes, like he's writing for every like a hundred or thousand. Sure. Hours. So it's like we kind of owe it to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You no, because they they've done. I mean, 
obviously, like you were saying, as technology progressed and it was easier to communicate with you, yeah. that makes it more daunting for you guys. But it's like when you did need to take that extra step of like pen to paper, yeah. here's some postage. Like there, you know, there was a few barriers in order to get to you guys. And so obviously right. that, like you said, that is representative of that smaller portion. Yeah. But did you, uh, like, were you, you personally always, like, were you born and raised in Orange County? or where Yeah, I grew up in Fullerton. Really? Yeah, I was born in Fullerton and then built my life at the Sincha area and then sure. been in Huntington Beach for 20 years now, so. Did your, like, did your parents move down to, like, the Huntington area or, like, were you always up No, that was, like, after, like, in the middle of college and starting eight night and stuff that I was up in Fullerton and then uh-huh. we just, every time we moved, we moved to Anaheim that we kept, just kept getting closer to the beach. <laughs> And I was like, let's just get down there. Right. Like, why, why would we live 20 minutes away from the beach when for probably the same price, right. we can live at the beach? So, sure, sure. So we found a cheap place. And it's been, yeah, it's been great living there ever well, since. What was sort of your, uh, what was like your gateway into, you know, like independent music as it were? Like, you know, was it introduced? Because usually people have that, you know, right. older brother, sibling or whatever, that sort of gateway to, you know, push you over the edge. And it was just, it was like the high school band that I started when I was 16. Just And I, you and you have to immediately reveal the name of that band. It was called North by Northwest, taken from the Hitchcock movie. That's good. Yeah. It's funny because a common theme that I've seen with a few other people I've had in the show where it's like, your first band is always going to have A, a terrible band name, or um, you know, obviously you're like some formation of the music you're eventually going to play. There's going to be like, you know, 10% of that or whatever. Right. But North, that band name is by far the best one I've heard so far. But I hated it because I thought it was, I didn't mind the, the name North by Northwest if, right. if we would have came up with it. But for some reason, and I was like oh, okay. brand new into music, I just thought it was super cheesy that we were stealing something and I didn't realize that that's just that's right. more the norm than not later it's like everybody just steals band names from movies or books or whatever sure. so it was kind of funny so I did that when I was 16 for a couple of years and uh, had you been playing like when did you first like where did you play in that band and where did you get the kind of instrumentation that was the first time I got I bought a bass like on day one of that band oh and nice we were all just self-taught it was uh, I come from a big sports family uh huh you know, my grandfather played college football, and he was a quarterback. And, oh, wow. Yeah, and... Um, so that was kind of what you cut your teeth on? Yeah, I was just a, a jock Okay. when I was growing up, because my dad, you know, always watched sports. And there was some interesting music, but, like, they, my parents had, like, Beatles, Stones, Hendrix, like, mm-hmm. kind of classic rock records. So I grew up listening to, like, Beatles and Stones and stuff like that, but uh, I was just all about basketball, football, baseball, tennis, golf, hockey, like, everything. Really? Like, like, everything you could get a hold of? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it's just what my life was and, sure and then so I met these 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 kids in high school that were kind of like dark black clothes and kind of like gothy looking and sure they were just in my classes so we were friends and they were they said let's start a band and I was like what are you guys talking about you see it's funny because it's like you know the atypical like those archetypes of jock and goth kids yeah. where it's like you know those two for all intent and purposes like don't mix but I mean you've always like ever since I've known you you've always been the type of person that I, I would imagine being in high school, you, you, you would, I, I like to call it dabbler, where it's like you right. would, even though you, like you said, label yourself to jock, you would be able to, people wouldn't feel threatened by you, right. where it's like you, you're not, you know, you might have slammed a kid or two into a locker. <laughs> so it was like that, it's like that scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off where they're just the late, the assistant principal, the girls just is describing him, that the jocks, the dweebs, the yeah, yeah. They, they all think he's a righteous dude. I've always been able to get along with like, Whatever the goth sure. kids, the clone kids, the jocks, the whatever. Right, right, just right. Kind of, you know, and then, feel, I mean, that's feel the, comfortable in that. Sure, thing. sure, and that's cool that they like that. Obviously, because you did that, you were like they kind of you know you learned from them. Yeah, yeah, 
which like that, you know, that typically doesn't happen within that, you know, those, like I said, those two archetypes, like totally. they don't feel like they can cross those, <laughs> totally. those bridges. Totally. So, so they, we, so they were like, let's start a band. Let's start a band. And I was like, I like, okay, <laughs> it was mine as well. than speaking a foreign language. Too. Sure. But I was in cause they were my friends. And then one guy bought a drum set, one guy bought a guitar, the other guy wanted to sing. So I just left bass. Yeah. I didn't even know I had four strings. I was right. like super like, <laughs> That's oh my gosh, intimidated. And then we go down to the, uh, the local super crappy music shop and sure. I'd look up on the wall and I was like, oh, two less strings. Awesome. Awesome. Easier. Yeah. No chords. <laughs> sure. Like, so that's how it started and then we just played like high school parties and whatever. And, sure, sure. Well, was it like uh, it was pop punky or was it? Joy Division ripoff. Really? Oh yeah. We like two or three of our songs were Joy Division songs and it was like our little group of friends. You know when you're in high school and you like just really fixate on like an artist or two. 100%. And, and nothing else. Well, ours was Geo Division. Right. And that's all we listened to. And then we branched out and started listening to Backward and Bunny. Sure. And the Chameleons. But it was like, it started out for like two or three years where all me and my friends would listen to was Joy Division. Mm-hmm. And New Order. And, right. Uh, and then, uh, so we just, we were basically kind of a Joy Division cover band, but we, it was all, it was mostly originals that just sounded like bad Joy Division. Songs. That's interesting because it usually, like I mean, that's why I threw out Pop Punk because yeah. it's like, Usually, you start, not to say that you know Joy Division ripoff type stuff is difficult to play, but it's it's more. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word a more mature than right. you know like a, a Blink One Eighty Two ripoff when you're in high school or totally. whatever, like that sort of you know. We just listened to the Joy Division stuff and figured that we could pick it apart and play it, right. even at the really like remedial level we were at music wise. So it was kind of just it made sense for us. To, yeah, yeah, and we yeah. were big fans of it, so yeah, that progressed, and then that band eventually like dissolved. Guys went off to college and did sure and then that, I, so that was like towards the tail end of high school yeah that was like junior senior year got it and then i just had the bug to keep doing music and yeah so one of the guys from that band we kind of just started jamming with other guys and then we started this next band mm-hmm. called the jaded when i was okay. like 19 and that was more like social d meets the psych first okay i could see that yeah and, i could uh, see that name applying to that <laughs> yeah so then did playing with different guys and um we, our drummer was this guy named Ron Welty, who was in The Offspring at the time. Oh, wow. He had just joined The Offspring. It was after the Nemesis record. They were just getting on Epitaph. Sure. And uh, he was drum. He was our guitar player's buddy. They were from Orange. And uh, and I remember <laughs> we we wanted to start playing. And we were nothing. We played like five shows. Right, right. And, uh, but I, I thought we were a pretty decent band. And, sure. Uh, I remember kind of going, hey, we're going to have to kind of have Ron figure out what band he wants to be in. The priority, like that priority kind of, it was yeah. like, you know, we're getting serious with this. And I remember we had mentioned something to it and he's like, yeah, they got a, you know, we got a record coming out. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to stay with the offspring. How'd that work out for him? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously he made the wrong decision. Oh my gosh. So awesome. So every once in a while I'll see Ron. I mean, he quit, I think the offspring in 2000 or 2001. Okay. And, uh, I mean, I think he's definitely like, just from being on those two or three records. Oh, totally. You know, I, I saw him in Vegas. <laughs> last year and he was just cruising around he's got a place at the river you know sure just hanging good living yeah 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 for sure that's hilarious so like did as you're like did you find the sort of music interest sort of usurping like the sports interest or did you kind of still pursue both of those things like did you ever have a chance to kind of like you know play in college and that type of stuff i played uh definitely all through high school i wanted to go play basketball at fullerton college okay and i ended it's funny i ended up before getting to try, I broke my ankle. Oh. And so, 
at that point the band stuff just kind of took over. Right, right. Yeah, it's funny because you have you have a very similar story to uh, like Riley from Thrice, oh, the drummer. Right. He had like he, same same sort of thing where it's like he was raised with sports and yeah. yeah. But it you do find like you just you have to make those decisions based on either like you know just something random happening where yeah. it's like okay like yeah I have this all this interest as well that's just like well I can still continue to do this because totally. it's super fun yeah. it's not like I, it's not like you're like all right I'm gonna turn my back on sports and like don't care about it anymore. right 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 yeah I mean I was I was decent I wasn't like uh, all league or anything in, in high school so I thought that maybe at the JC level I could make a team or something right right by year two maybe get some playing time or something like that and, sure. which would have been a lot of fun right right the, the passion I had for sports but then yeah break your ankle and then you just kind of it, it just kind of went away sure it started focusing on music and that started turning into a lot of fun and a lot of work but a lot of like fun work right you know where i was really enjoying it so did so, you did you tour with any of those no yeah that was, was just like, local. that was just all local stuff sure and then um through some of the guys in that band i met uh joe foster who was um you know who i started at night with sure and it was funny um so i jammed with joe a couple times and then uh, he was doing a lot of modeling at the time overseas and in Europe. He was like this pretty successful, like not supermodel, but like pretty big model during like the <laughs> early nineties and late eighties. Interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. So he, he, he's like, I'm going to go to Japan. And then, like, so then he called me when he got back a couple months later and uh, he's like, Hey, um, I'm kind of jamming with this punk band. Uh-huh. Um, but they needed, they asked, they needed a bass player. He's like, I showed up with bass and, uh, <laughs> but I'm just going to try and convince them to let me play second guitar. Okay. Do you want to play bass? And I was like, um, yeah, I, I'm not doing anything really. Like, sure. It was kind of a lull for me between bands and stuff. And, right. Uh, so I went up and we started jamming with these guys and they were in this, this punk band called Mad Parade, which okay, yeah. were in the eighties. We're pretty decently big. You know? Sure. Sure. And, uh, so we played with them probably about a month or two. And, uh, and then I told Joe, I said, why don't we just do our own thing? Yeah. Cause it was like, it wasn't exactly what you wanted to do. Yeah, and they had you know two or three records out, and right. it was kind of like, like a Sex Pistols punk. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with Matt Trade at all. Yeah, I know, yeah, I am familiar. So yeah. it wasn't exactly right up my alley. Right, it's like it was something fun, but like obviously there, because you were joining this band at that far in, like you weren't able to put your own creative energies right. too much into. Not it. totally. Because they're like, yeah, yeah. You're, here you go, dude. Like, yeah, here's, yeah. here's a bass. Thanks Play for these old songs. Right. Like, maybe we'll, we'll do a new record if things go well. Right, right, right. So we stopped playing with those guys after a month or so, and then we just started writing songs together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wasn't really too familiar with the whole, um, like, world that, where Joe came from. Like, sure. Unity, No France, or like, kind of like that straight-edge hardcore world. Right, right, right. I, I was pretty familiar with Minor Threat at the time. Sure. And some of the bigger hardcore bands. Right. But, yeah, I... I didn't know too much about like the Orange County scene at all. That that probably in a, I mean that was probably good in a way, and I'm sure that's why he was excited to play with you because you had a completely different perspective. Totally, because you found. I mean, a lot of those people, or I mean, still to this day, it's like you know, birds of a feather. Like, yeah. it, it's nice to have, be able to bring in another person with a totally different set of eyes. Yeah, I was like really interested. Like Joe was playing, you know, a lot of like two, three chord, four chord songs and kind of fast like punk stuff and I was trying to put like Joy Division bass lines over it and yeah. like kind of make it a little more melodic. Sure. And that's kind of, I think that's kind of how we kind of got the first Ignite sound is like the kind of melodic high bass runs over just a one guitar doing 
trying, right. trying to play a couple guitar parts. Right. And so we started writing this music, and I was really interested. I didn't really want a screamer because I didn't come from that whole sure. screaming world. So yeah, it yeah. made no sense to me to like, why would we get somebody to scream over this stuff and, ru- <laughs> and ruin this music? Right. Totally. So we, I always wanted a singer. So you know, we went through a couple singers at the beginning. Right. And then once we got, once we heard Zoli's voice, I was like, this is the right voice for this music. Yeah, this fits. Yeah. And did you, at the time when like this stuff was coming together, were you, uh, you went to college? Yeah, I went to Fuller in college. Where, what were you studying at the time? I was, I wanted to go into law. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. So I, I like I wanted to eventually be a, like uh, agent for like you know okay. baseball basketball sure players. sure that sure kind of you want to be Jerry Maguire before that movie exactly. existed right exactly <laughs> that's because with the passion for sports and then I'm, um, I really liked law one mm-hmm. of the, the pre law classes and stuff I took and I was really interested in it, you know getting into contracts but also more like you know you know how agents are kind of like managers slash lawyers yep. like that seemed really interesting. So right, and it's kind of funny because I've another something I was going to ask you a little bit later, but it's perfect to bring up now. Where it's like, you know, you as the bass player, like typically the business person of a band, right, is you know the vocalist, or usually it's a vocalist. Like yeah. that just kind of I don't know why, but just by you know default, it right. just happens to be that way. And I always thought that was interesting about you guys, where it was like, but obviously now I see that right, you were already already interested yeah. in that, so it's like I'll just take care of this because this is something I'm already aware That's of. I enjoy. Yeah, were you? Did you like kind of try to do the business stuff with the you know the other bands that you were doing? Like there wasn't really enough going on to even like have yeah get it even addressed. <laughs> Right, but maybe you were the person settling at the end of the night to get paid that fifty dollars at the local show or whatever. Yeah, I don't ever remember getting paid any. To be honest, <laughs> then yeah, that was. I remember cool. paying to play one time, like when I was like nineteen, and going, "This is the worst thing ever." Right, never do this again. I remember the guy at the club. He, we went in there like in November, and he goes, "I got a great night for you." He's like, "It's always packed Christmas night," and we were just hook, line, and sinker idiots, and we didn't know. We were like, "Oh, really?" He's like, "Yeah, Christmas night, December twenty fifth. Dude, it's a good night to have a show. He's like, in terms of what it costs, he's like, it's going to be a great night. There's going to be a lot of people. Of course, at the end of the day, it was just the people we brought. Right. And it was hilarious. I that can't. was a lesson learned. Dude, sure. that's a, and you always have to take those hard lessons where totally. you're just like, I know now what yeah. not to do. Yeah, exactly. Holy shit. You never pay to play. Right. <laughs> so as, uh, so yeah, like you said, as you were kind of starting to, um, you know, put this stuff together with Ignite, yeah. that was, that was like early 90s, right? Yeah, that was like 93. Right. Yep. And so, like, your first stuff that you guys started to get out, like, was your first official releases, like, through, like, you know, I mean, Lost and Found, like, that? It, yeah, it was. I mean, we recorded some really bad four-track demos, right. just ourselves, that we were selling at, like, Vinyl Solution and, like, Zed's, on, just on tape. Sure. And we sold a lot of those. We, I mean, I, we, we sold, like, between 500 and 1,000 tapes. Wow. Yeah. And, like, with the, do you think that was all based on, I mean, because you guys had started to play out by that point, right? right? A little bit, yeah. And so, like, what do you think, like, because did, I mean, did it kind of hit the ground running, or is it's like, once you started to put yourselves out there, you, like, the interest is already there based on, you know, like, Joe's pedigree, and like... I think it was 100% the flyer we made that we went and took the Zeds, it was, like, <laughs> black and white picture, and I still have the flyer, and so I just posted it on Facebook the other day. Oh, that's I, amazing. Yeah, the original flyer, and it was, uh, and Joe was in photography class, so he took a picture of me playing my bass, but made it all, like, blown out black and white, so it looked all, you know, photo, sure. photo paper copy. And it just said Ignite featuring X members of Unity, No Front Hands, or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And just right. gave, and then, you know, five, four song demo tape, $1. And awesome. I think just put that, putting that up at punk shops. Sure. In Orange County. Was You're like, why would I not buy this? Yeah. Oh, it's dudes from the No Front Hands or Unity, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Right. And um, so I think that just 
I think that was the big leg up right from the beginning. Sure. It was the, just the guys from bands, so it was like it's easy to get the interest of people. Right. And did you, like like you said, you I mean, you were familiar with hardcore just from like kind of a topical level. Yeah. Like when you started to kind of go to those shows and start to experience that world, like was it was it shocking for you? Or like what did you, you know, what kind of, it, what, what impressions did it make for you initially? I, you know, it was cool. It was definitely, you know, because I'd always been to like bigger shows, go see like, PIL at like right. you know Irvine Meadows or something. So there's a really like there's a, the band really detached from the crowd. Huge difference, right? Yeah, and then so I think one of the first shows I went to a basement show uh, out in San Bernardino somewhere with some sure. like Christian thrash metal band. A buddy wanted me to go see, <laughs> right, and right. that was a basement, and it was interesting because it was like wow, it's like there's no stage, and, right? But then I think the first like kind of like punk hardcore show I went to was at that club eight and a half. Okay, yeah, yeah. Fullerton, and I think it was The Offspring and Guttermouth and Voodoo. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it was really cool. Sure. It was packed. There was like 500 kids there. It was sold out, and it was uh, it was awesome. Right, right. And I was like, oh, this is a lot of fun. Right. It like, seemed like the shows were a lot of fun. Right, because it's still, it's like you, the scene that you were coming from, like it still had, you know, a lot of the sensibilities as far as like, you know, because clearly like, you know, Joy Division, like yeah. an independent band. Oh, totally, totally. So it's like you saw the parallels, and it was like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like you going to an Insane Clown Posse concert where it was just like, I don't even, yeah. this isn't even a semblance of anything I understand. Even like the old Joy Division videos, they're all like, it's kind of that same punk rock vibe show. Totally. Except people yelling stuff out, the crowd's right up by the stage and stuff. Right, exactly. Like, the, yeah. you know, the Warsaw stuff. So it was, like, it was closer to that than anything I'd ever seen before. But it's funny, like, I remember being at that show and, mm-hmm. uh, and being, wow, this is a lot of fun. And then talking with Joe and Casey, who were the sure. drummer and the guitar player from McKnight. And them talking about how when they were like 15, 16, going to shows like Fenders and stuff, they were, of course, fun to be, but he said there was such an element of you were almost scared. As, oh, yeah. As yeah, much yeah. fear sure. going to a show as it was fun because, like, right. the gangs and just the crowd that was there was like that punk rock 80s crowd was like kind of volatile. Oh, 100%. So yeah. I didn't really ever get to experience that in like the 80s. Yeah, which is probably good because I. I even though it's like when I first started to go to shows, like you know, like in the mid '90s, mm-hmm. it was like I was excited, but I never felt threatened. Yeah. Like and you were expecting danger in a way. If right. you, you know, if I was going to go in the pit, like you know, I was terrified. Right. And you should be because you're putting yourself in that. Totally. But I think like back then, obviously, it's like if you were against a wall, you were just as much of a victim. Yeah. But you know, at the same time, those guys were 15 and 16, so they had a different perception. So it's probably it's probably a little bit more intimidating for them to be at a show with. Oh, oh my gosh, that look at that guy. He's in his 20s. Yeah, yeah. You know. Oh, 100%. You know? Yeah. So there's that. I think I think probably younger kids still go to shows. There's still that kind of intimidation factor that they have when it's like the. Like go to a, go to a hate breed show. Oh, totally. You know, and if you're like a 15, 16 year old, that's got to be pretty intimidating. You get hit like that, you know. One hundred percent. Yeah, your first or second time exposed, yeah. and it's just like this is terrifying. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, and so so yeah, like as, as stuff started to kind of progress, you know, like when because the funny thing that I think about Ignite as well, because um, I mean I view the first the first full length is like, because obviously all the stuff that you did under Lost and Found right. was like, I mean, for all intent and purposes, it was a nightmare for yeah. you guys, yeah, like yeah. business wise. And it's like, you know, there, anybody that isn't familiar with that label, like, right. you know, we could do a five hour podcast on totally. why all the bands that they ripped off. Right. Um, so I personally define like, you know, the real true formation of Ignite as yeah. it were, where it's like, here we are, yeah. is, you know, call my brothers. Exactly. And I, you know, you guys have obviously paced yourself, uh, as far as, you know, you're not going to release a record a year. It's like, I just find it so, uh, I guess, admirable for you guys, the fact that it's like, 
when you do release something, this is very well thought out and executed. Like you guys, right. you don't feel that push. Like you feel the push of like, all right, we need to release a new record because it's been seven years or whatever. Exactly. And and you know just as much as yeah. yourself, but it it doesn't uh, all the stuff that you have put out. Like it might, I mean, like you really guys have you guys haven't put out like a bad song in my just oh, from a fan's perspective of just like because it seems like you go over it with a fine tooth comb. Well, yeah, and a lot of it's a collaborate. I mean, again, like four or five years between most of the releases, um, except at the beginning. You know, we did Connor Rose one year, right? And the next year we did the Past Our Means, right? So that which was is like pretty bang, quick, bang, yeah, yeah. And um, but yeah, I mean, give yourself four or five years if you can't come up with like. 12 great songs, then you probably shouldn't put a record right. No, and then that's not fair to say, but... No, I understand what you're saying, though. But, I mean, we do have time to write, and, like, and literally, if you're going to wait four or five years, make your fans wait, if you put out something mediocre... That's true. That sucks for everybody. Right. You know, these guys are, like, our fans, you know, world all over the world, they, they're waiting for us to put something out, and at the time between uh, Pastor Means and A Place Called Home, or A Place Called Home and Our Darkest Days, it was like... You know, everybody's waiting for something awesome. Sure. And if we just deliver, you know, something mediocre, it's going to be such a letdown for the band, for the fans, for the press, just for anybody who cares about the band. Right. So we were always really like adamant about like, let's these songs have to be quality. Right. You know, top, we'll, like we'll we'll do this when we're ready. Yeah. And like not in a yeah not in like a you know we are artists, but like exactly we need to we make sure this we I need to make one, sure once this, you miss the window of two years after your previous records done then the kind of the window for like a, you know, some kind of prompt schedule for releases, it's kind of gone. Yeah, that's so true. At that's that true. point, you better just put something, you know, quality out. Sure. Rather than just like, uh, oh, it's been three years. Let's just get something out. We have four good songs. All right, just like, let's write eight more and then just put it out. <laughs> right, right, right. Because that's, you know, I mean, a lot of people don't get past four or five songs on a record nowadays anyway. So Very you true. can get away with it. But I just think, uh, yeah, it's just really important to, for me personally, to make sure everything on each record that we put out is quality. Sure. No, I, and that's and I think that's. I mean, that's obviously why the ignite name can last as long as it does because it's like you know people have attention spans of right. like a gnat now. Yeah. And so it's like the fact that you can do that is because you've given them a very large piece of music that can last. It, it doesn't sound dated, you know. Right, like you right. can listen to Call My Brothers now, and it does. Like if you listen to an O for an Answer record, it's a completely different story. Right. I mean, it it, it, it will evoke memories right. of that time or whatever but it's just like you know musically speaking like of course i mean i can't say this to you because your records will sound dated the minute you leave the studio in your own mind in my own mind yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> because that's the type of person and all the you songs are. seem really slow when you go back in the system because when you play them live you speed up the the tempos like sure. 20 bpms and then you listen right. back to old records and you're like oh man how did we ever track that song that slow right this is painfully yeah, slow yeah i know it's, that's kind of funny but yeah yeah i think overall a lot of that has to do with to me is um I think Zoli's voice uh, stand, kind of stands the test of time because he's a great singer. Right. And I just think, you know, great vocals and uh, a great voice is something that, like, kind of, like, lasts. Sure. You know, I yeah, think I that helps us you. a lot, you know. Yeah. We just little... wrote 15 songs and it was somebody screaming the whole time. I think I think the shelf life or, I don't know, the tolerance that people would have on it. it I mean, yeah. I don't know. That's I mean, just my personal opinion. No, no. Some I told... people love screaming, you know, all day long. And it's just, it's just... I'm just different about that. Yeah, no, no, I totally get it. Because I mean, you, yeah, you're coming from a different place. Like, right. That's that. That's your perspective. So, um, so when you guys started to, I mean, obviously release the first full length and release the EP on Rev and everything. Yeah. Um, you guys were doing a decent amount of touring. Right. And I feel like, I mean, was it always intentional of you guys being like, all right, you know, clearly we kind of have sort of 
not the hardcore scene on lock, but the hardcore scene is aware of what we are right. because of our affiliations with Rev and all that type exactly. of stuff. Um, and you guys immediately started to be able to play with, you know, punk bands, like, right. you know, your epitaph records type stuff. Totally. And that I presume that was a conscious decision where it was like, we would really like to be a part of that scene. Like not saying disassociating yourselves from right. hardcore, but being able to play to, you know, that wider audience. I think it was important because like you said, we did kind of have the hardcore thing on lockdown. We could go tour with Snapcase or Earth Crisis and we did. And we had yeah. Integrity and all those bands. We toured with all those bands. And that was cool. But like, People don't understand how small the hardcore scene was back then. Right. Like, we did a tour. It was Ignite, Earth Crisis, Integrity, uh, Damnation AD. We did it in, like, 95. We played all over America. And sure. I would say the average draw was, like, 150 kids. And people just in their mind have, like... Yeah, that 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 lineup, you're just, like, you mythologize. Like, oh, it's going to be 1,000 kids every night in every city. And it was, like, you know, we did, like, there was a sold-out showcase show. New York was good. DC, a couple of the, you know, sure. traditionally big cities for hardcore were great, but it was like, that scene was so small and we always wanted to branch out. We always wanted to be signed to Epitaph. Right. Because we always thought that that would have given us the best chance to grow. Oh, sure. And it just never worked out that we were able to, you know, get a record out on Epitaph. It's only as now. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I always thought that would have been the perfect home for us because I, I agree. I knew that Instead had gone there. Right. And I thought that that if we would have had that opportunity, especially in 94. Totally. When stuff was just blowing up. And yep. like anything they were selling was just like moving units, you know? Totally. And uh, so that was kind of the reason why we were like, we would always jump on like a, a Voodoo Willisville show. Right. We would always try and, you know, jump on like any like kind of punk rock show locally. And uh, just to play in front of new, new kids. Because sure. a lot of kids in the punk rock scene from that, like the skate punk, the Pennywise, the Bad Religion, they didn't know who we were. Totally. You, know, we were, you were a new band. Yeah, we weren't exposed to them at right. all. And I, it's so funny. It's like sometimes when we play shows with bands like that, we're still like a new band. Yeah. And we're like, you know, well into our careers. Right. You're like, we've been around for a few years. Yeah. And like, you know, we'll go do a Bad Religion West Coast tour and like all these like kids that are into the Bad Religion and stuff, like they have, a lot of them still have never heard, you know, of Ignite. It's like, man, you guys are great. You guys have any CDs out? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, got yeah. a couple. We got a demo. Yeah, check it. We got a demo tape. <laughs> so yeah we were always trying to you know cross over into that um, and even into like to the metal side when, when hardcore started getting you know like in the 90s when those bands Integrity and sure. Crisis, they were just metal bands in, in my eyes totally. when they actually started you know getting like perceived as metal bands and like labels like Roadrunner started picking right. up like bands like you know Hatebreed started like we wanted to jump on that as well because we thought that you know we could we, we always felt that we could tailor make a set list to like work with kind of any band, like we can go you play. Are versus- we can go play with Hate Breed, and we're just gonna play a bunch of fast stuff and like you know appeal to their you know fans, and then like go we can go play with like more of a rock band and kind of slow it down, play some more mid tempo stuff. And sure, I just thought we Ignite always has had this appeal across the board to where we could hey we could kind of play with anybody. Yeah, you guys are you guys are very versatile. And that's obviously what you've done. Where it's like you can. That actually, it, it mimics your own high school right. where you're able to kind of like dabble into totally. a, a lot of different things and be like, you know, and, and be accepted by a portion of that audience yeah. for what you guys were without, yeah. you know, you weren't pulling any punches. You right. weren't like, all right, we're going to, you know, dumb this set down. It was like, you know, you, these are your songs. Like right. they appear in your record. No, sure. like, and it was for like sure. that, you, gotta, you know, it's just trying to be smart with the, whatever opportunity was in front of us to like, let's. Like try and take advantage of this the best way we can. Right, right, right. We're all that stuff. You know, in America, it's always been a struggle for us to try and get a foothold and 
try, try and become like a bigger band. Right. But all that stuff I'm talking about just is exactly what would for us in Europe. Right. Because it was just like, it's just, it's, yeah, I mean, we just don't play just the hardcore stuff over the, you know, shows sure. and stuff. It's like, we're on big, you know, mainstream festivals and, and, and regular club shows and we play with rock bands and punk bands and, and right. everything over there. So that's where it's really been like, You've, you can see the whole plan like right to come together you've seen you've seen the fruits of your labor be you know realized exactly like yeah and so when did you guys first start because i mean yeah for all intent and purposes it's like you guys are, are very selective about what you do here in the states yeah. for like you said for obvious reasons and everything you were just describing yeah um and but then when did you kind of for well, when was your first trip to europe and then when did you kind of first start to see those people you know the sort of the groundswell of of people really paying attention to what you guys were doing. It was crazy because it happened so fast over there. Bringing up the Lost and Found thing. Sure. That label did like rip off a lot of things. Right, no right. doubt in that long Right. But at that time, there was no label that had as much presence in Europe as Lost and Found. Totally. So while you were getting ripped off at the same time, every magazine, every store, everywhere you looked, your band's presence was felt. That's true. So it was kind of like, all right, we're not getting royalties. We're not getting paid. We're not right. Paid. But at the same time, we are, like, getting so much exposure sure. in Europe, you know, and, like, everywhere we go, like, people have the CDs and it's available, and they were just pushing in every magazine, just ads, full-page ads, and it was pretty impressive because our first tour that we ever did was a European tour. We didn't tour the States Oh, first. really? I had no idea. Yeah, we played five shows in America. Interesting. And uh, then we got offered uh, the tour with Slapshot in 94. Sure. So we have, we have about five or six shows under our belt, and then we get offered this tour, it was like, oh, it's going to be like 56 shows in 58 days. That's insane. And you're going to be on a tour bus with this band from Boston called Slapshot. And we're like, we are in. Right. We didn't have a singer at the time, but we're like, we're in. We'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. So, we, you know, we got Zoli in, in the process of, of that time. Um, but it was awesome, man. We got over there, and our first show was in Sweden at this big mainstream festival called the Holt Spread Festival. Okay. And we get there, and it's like, okay, you guys are, there's a main stage over there. We're in kind of one of the tent stages. Sure. There's like room to put like five or six thousand people in front of us. We never played in Europe before. And I was like, nobody's gonna come watch us. Right. Midnight Oil's playing on the main stage. You know, Blur's up next. Like, <laughs> Midnight Oil Blur. That's yeah. Like, yeah. It was crazy. You're like, who are we? Who are we? Yeah. And so on our stage, it was like, you know, uh, this band, The Refused, that I'd never heard of. Bill um, and Colin, all these Swedish bands. Right. And, you know. So we played the first show. The tent was packed. They were playing for like five or six thousand people. There was a ton of press there. And from that first show. It just grew. That's insane. It was insane. And 10 months later, we were on our own tour bus, headlining our own European tour with Undertow and Temperance's support. That's a bit, yeah, yeah, that's that's just my Playing mind. festivals, playing clubs, sold out club shows. So, like, Europe from the get-go has just been... Just hit. Unreal. That's crazy. Yeah. That's mean, that's why, obviously, it's like now you guys basically, you, you kind of, you go over there once, maybe twice a year. Exactly. Like for the summer festivals, and then if there's something on the holidays or something yeah. that you guys can go do. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just, it's cool that you've been able to see that plan through totally. where... And it just grew and grew and grew every year. And it was, yeah, it's been unbelievable. And then you just, you know, play the big festivals, and there's a ton of press, and it just, yeah, it's just... It just so you put out a bad record, I think. That's true. You know? Yeah, they do. I mean, yeah, Europe, traditionally speaking, obviously has a much longer me memory and reverential for bands that are considered influential in some right. way, shape, or form. Whereas in America, rev you know, the reverential, the people may listen to you still, but they won't purchase your record. 
Right. They won't go to your shows if you still do play out. And yeah. it's like, the, it's just that, oh yeah, that like, that was something I liked when I was younger. Exactly. That's, and that's a big difference between America and Europe for us is when I talk to people that know about Ignite in America, typically it's like, oh yeah, I used to listen to you guys. Yeah, yeah. And in Europe, it's like, oh, you guys are my favorite band. Right, right. That's the difference like between just like kind of this, the stock standard Ignite fan. It's like the American fan used to listen to us. So that, that's, I, cause yeah, it's like, for whatever reason, it's like, I've had conversations with a few people where it's just like, you have these, uh, these like tent poles in your, you know, adult adolescent or right. adolescent moving into adult life where it's like, you feel like you have to jump over them. And then all of a sudden parts of you have to be left behind. Right. Like whether it's like your tastes or, you know, the adult pressures of life or whatever. Right. And it's just like in other, other civilized societies, like that seems to be less important or, right. or maybe it's more important, but people are willing to kind of buck the system and be like, no, I still like this, but you know, right. or whatever, I have a straight laced job and you know, I listen to, you know, all of these hardcore bands or whatever. Right. It's just, it's so, it's so weird that that's, I mean, that's just obviously a cultural difference. No, totally. But I think if we were in the press and on the radio here, it would be like, oh no, I listen to it tonight. Yeah. That, but we just aren't, you know? Right, right, right. We, we never got radio exposure. We, we really haven't had that much press coverage. We haven't sold a ton of CDs in America. We do okay. But sure. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's respectable. Like there's no one that can look at, cause I think I actually just watched this uh, documentary that like leaked on YouTube or I don't know if the filmmaker put it up. It's called 1994. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I watched it like last week and um, you know, it's just, it's really interesting to see that time frame encapsulated on video. And it was one of those things where like, no joke, it occurred to me where I was just like, there's, I mean, in my mind, like Ignite should play a role in that in some way, shape or form. And it's like, right. Yeah. There, it's just that interesting thing where, I mean, cause Ignite is, uh, this band that is mentioned, you know, it's still mentioned mm-hmm. this day for obvious reasons. And the fact that you guys are still active, right. uh, but then, you know, it, out of certain annals of history, right. like they're just, they, they, you guys are omitted for whatever reason, maybe right, just right, because right. you guys obviously like didn't quote unquote break up. And it's like that maybe, yeah. Uh, in, in a way. Cause I mean, for whatever reason, people tend to, pay attention to band like you know like oh i was so into that band right, and, like right. if they did something now right. like it would be unbelievable right, right. Totally. but yeah i was just it was just occurred to me as after i watched it, i was just like eh, it seems like ignite should play a part in that yeah, i mean if we did break up and we were done we would be talked about more and but like yeah we don't get mentioned in too many of those you know historical pieces which i think is kind of cool because it makes me feel like we're still like relevant and we're still current that's true that's and, true and that was one of the biggest things with that we've been really like grateful for and is that we've been around since ninety three, so it's it's coming up on twenty years, right? And by far, I mean, not, it's not even close. Our most popular, our most requested, our album is the one is the last one we put out. Yeah, and it's, yeah, that's and, true. And typically, uh, you know, not a hundred percent of the time, but typically, bands in our genre, punk, hardcore, oh, yeah. people want to. Only, not only, but a lot of times it's first record. Yeah, great, second record. greatest hits, dude. Yeah. Don't. And it's nothing within the last, like, ten years. Nobody's interested, you know. And that's a bummer because it's like, you know, I would hate to go to a show and have everybody only want to hear the six songs off of our first EP in my time. You know, I'd be like, that's cool, but we just wrote all these new songs. <laughs> right. And for us, when we play stuff off Colin and Rose, when we play stuff off Pastor Means, a lot of times people look at us like, oh, are those new songs? Yeah. You know, which is, that is really tr- cool for us. That is true. Yeah. I never thought about it from that perspective. But yeah, that, that is, that is, 
you can let that reflect on your legacy as opposed to you know the sort of yeah like you are an you are an annotation within right. this history as opposed to like no like there's there's a relevancy still here for totally. a reason. Um, so when was the when was the last time that like you personally held a job like or has, has Ignite been your thing for? Um, I think we were in between a place called home and right before we recorded our darkest days. I can. 405 we were all kind of working part-time because we'd stopped touring to write the record that's true yeah and yeah. we were doing a couple side projects so there wasn't a lot of like income being generated during, of course during that like probably like yeah 2004 we didn't really tour or 2005 and uh, sure so yeah we were we were kind of all doing some part-time stuff but then once um we got in the studio and knew we were going to be gone for a while you just yeah you have to make it work see you later (laughs) exactly there's there's a there's a reason that uh we make our overhead low (laughs) yeah exactly um and so just looking at uh, one specific experience with like your you know the ignite history yeah the uh like would you kind of put the sort of I guess the potential for the peak of popularity for Ignite being kind of around that TBT record where you kind of felt like maybe the most heat going into it or what, what, if it's not that, like what, what sort of uh, point in Ignite's career do you feel like where it's just like, oh man, like, you know, this was the point where we could have ellipsed to what we are in Europe. Right. I thought, yeah, definitely when we signed a TBT and um, the opportunity to be on a bigger label and you know, and Jordan at Rev was really cool because we were under contract with him for another record or two. Oh, and okay. And we were like, you know, all these bands were getting tons of money thrown at them, and we were kind of tied sure. up on a contract. And and that's interesting. Yeah, Revelation was only going to be so big, you know, ever, ever. And so we sat down with Jordan. We go like, hey, we, you know, it's five years into the band. We're either going to do this full on and go for it for the next ten years, or we're not. But you know we want to have the opportunity to get on a bigger label. And, right. Uh, he didn't have to do anything. He could have said, oh, no, give me another record and then we'll see. And he was so cool. He was like, okay, that's cool. Um, I'll help you guys make a demo and I'll help you shop it. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we were just like, wow, that's really cool for your label to like help right. you lead the label, you know? So, right, right. <laughs> so we sent it out there was some interest from, there was some interest from Roadrunner and a couple other labels and, but TBT by far was like the most interested. They, sure. They were, you know, they loved the demo that we recorded and, they loved his voice and you know the history of the band and everything and, and they had seven dust at the time and uh, quite a few bands were selling quite a lot of records definitely and you know we went out to new york and the president of the company sat down with us and said man i think that album you guys just wrote recorded is going to be tbt's album of the year and when the president of a company tells you that dude all you can do is believe it of course i mean because what else are you going to do you right know? yeah no you're a liar like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were really optimistic that they were going to like just push the record like crazy sure and uh and they had at that time said that because we wanted to license the record over to europe to a, a label that was already there right but they um said that no we're going to launch tbt europe and you, your guys' album is going <sighs> to lead the charge lead the way it's going to like establish the label we were a little like reticent. And we yeah, were like, oh, is this really going to happen? But you know, we're putting millions of dollars into it. We're going to like do whatever you guys want. Sure. So we were we we had no real other choice than just to be right. on board. Right. And we're like, wow, this is going to be great. They're going to like really push this because they're going to want to establish TBT Europe. Of course. You know, this is going to be awesome. Right. Videos and music and push to radio. And sure. Blah, blah, blah. Sure. Well, three months later, TBT Europe I get folded. Uh. Um, three months after the record came out, 
they weren't pushing the record anymore. So it was kind of like just standard, typical... Major label stuff. Kind right? of major label, throw it against the wall, see if it sticks, if it doesn't move on to the next thing. So, right, right, right. So that it was kind of a bummer, but um, we knew what we were getting into. Well, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, we, were, you were smart enough, like, yeah. yeah. You weren't just like, you know, starry-eyed 16-year-old kids who were just like, here we go. Right. Here's our one shot. I mean, we could have went with... Um, and in hindsight, we probably should have tried to get on a you know, a victory or an epitaph at that time because, you know, I think that would have been better served. Sure. But the, you know, really having the meetings with TBT and seeing how incredibly interested and excited they were and what their plans were for the band. It right. Was, it was really hard to ignore that and go, no, we're just going to go with the kind of the mid-level sure. punk rocker. This, I guess in a way, like, it could be considered like a safe bet. Yeah. Where you didn't know, like, you knew they could potentially grow your career, but it would still, like... There's a difference between growing your career on Epitaph over like a course of you know three or four years, and then like say you do hit in a TBT, yeah, your, your shit will change within a year. Yeah, and we were like, let's take that risk. And right, it was, it was on us, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we knew that there was going to be totally some risks involved, and, right? And that potentially it could just be exactly what happened. Sure. But you know, we took advantage of it. They spent a lot of money on the record. They marketed it, so we were going to do the DIY punk rock thing that we'd always been. You right. Know? We didn't need the tour support. We didn't need like. Sure. Everything that they had promised, you know, it would have been nice. Right. But we were going to, we had distribution. Right. You know, we ended up licensing the record out to uh, actually a major label in Europe. Okay. Um, so we basically got to do, accomplish what we, what we set out. Yeah. Right. On like the, the, the small end of the scale. Sure. You sure. Know, we were going to do that no matter what. We were going to tour. We were going to get the record out. We were going to push it. And, you know, we did it in Europe. It, it grew like crazy. Right. Uh, Europe just really. Yeah, and, and it, it's. I think it's it's always to hear because I mean obviously like we worked with each other professionally right. at Abacus and stuff like that. And every time I've heard you reference just basically any of your business relationships, it's like you you guys have always been like great beyond gracious and like not gracious in like a you know painting everything with like you know rosy colors, right. but you're just like. It was just as much like you know for whatever whatever bar was set that right. wasn't achieved, like you know you as the band to you know. I mean, maybe not as much responsibility as like, you know, the label or whatever, but you took responsibility where it's like you hear so many bands go out there and are just like, oh, label didn't do it. Like the age old label didn't do anything for us. And it's like you guys have always been, uh, I guess, realistic about everything. I I think bands a lot of times fall under that (laughs) scenario where any time they get somebody else involved, whether it's a manager or an agent or a label they stop working as hard because they That's assume true. that somebody else is going to do it. Yeah, yeah. I fall into that all the time where it's like, we start working with somebody and I go, oh, well, he'll handle it. <laughs> Not A lot of times they don't. Sure. Sometimes they do, but it, it, you know, pushing your own band and pushing your own music and pushing your own causes yourself, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's never going to go as far, you know, uh, just relying on somebody else. That's it's true. It's always going to go a lot further with yourself pushing it. You know, especially if you have somebody else on board, like a publicist or a marketing guy. Right. Like, be involved. Like, don't just like, oh, they'll do it. You know, go, no, I want my stuff in these magazines. Are you guys doing this? Because, you know, whatever. There's a million different examples. Right. But I just think, you know, I think a lot of bands, a lot of times when they get signed, they just think the label's going to do everything for them. Right. And I think that, and and it's, it's, they don't. Right. I think when you get signed and even when you get a manager, an agent, that's when it's actually time for you to work harder. Because, you know, you get an agent, okay, give me some tours, you know. Well, now is when you should go hit up all your 
you know, bands that you know. Totally. You know, get us on these tour. We have this agent. You know, you know yep. he can get in contact with you. Don't just assume your agent's going to go give you shows. Don't just assume the manager's going to get you, you know, your endorsements or your deals or whatever. It's like, sure. It's just something else to bring to the table. I think. Right. You know, here, like here's your here's your golden ticket. Yeah. Don't like, re- don't rely on people because I you know and I fall into that a lot of times just because it just you know feels it feels right to yeah, do that initially. Yeah. Sure. Okay. These guys are going to take care of this, and it's like. You know, I have to always just like kick myself like, no, now it's time to, to get to work, you know. Right, Make right, these right. guys earn their percentage. You know? Sure, right. <laughs> you should, I, you, like, all of what you said right there should be like given out to every band as they sign a record, like a record deal. Totally. Where it's just like, here, here's kind of the golden rules. Like, yeah. here, here's how to, you know, maintain yourself to where you can still play music you know, as you grow older, like, yeah. you know, this is, this is how you do it just from like a business perspective, yeah. you know, musically you can do whatever you want. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. I, I mean, I, I think that the best thing, um, somebody ever told me is when you get a manager or when you get a label, don't ride what vision they have, make, you know, make them, you know, take your vision sure. and turn it into something bigger. Right, you know? right, right. Don't just hand the reins over to these people and go, okay, do something cool with my band or whatever, you know? Yeah, that's true. I, I think the driving force should always be the bands and these people should always be on a short leash for hire and they should be able to be, you know, fired at any time if they slack. And yeah, like, no, totally. A lot of people just get lax. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's 100% true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so now you're doing Nations of Fire. Yes. Like in that, that's been going for, you know, like two or three years yeah. now. Uh, you guys are about to release a new full length yeah. or you guys are preparing for yeah, it yeah, currently. Yeah. Um, so, you know, t- tell me how, I mean, obviously, because, you know, Zoli's doing uh, Pennywise yeah. now, and it's like you guys are all, you know, pursuing your own musical interests, but Ignite, obviously, will always still, right. I mean, as you've said in many interviews, yeah. <laughs> where it's like, all right, you know, people immediately see those bits of news where it's like, oh, members started other bands, and it's like, oh, right. this band's dead. It's right. like, you guys, have, you guys I, have done a very proactive job where it's just like, calm down. Yeah. You're gonna get a, you're gonna get new material from us. We'll Someday. let you know. Yeah. <laughs> we will we will let you know when you're not going to anymore. Totally. Um, I, I don't think Ignite will ever yeah yeah it's it's so funny because especially this day and age yeah. it seems silly to me when bands like make that statement yeah it is i i agree 100%. it like because and unless you hate each other unless you like you know right, right, you right. and zoli are just like we literally cannot be in a room we need a therapist with us oh there's that too right no, i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like there if you if you are still have you know an amicable relationship and you enjoy creating things together it's like why the why the hell do you need to put this like stamp mm-hmm. on it be like yeah this was the r.i.p date i do think there is some genius sometimes in bands that do break up and get back together of course because it's like i don't know they can really i mean like at the end of the day like somebody that's been doing music for 10 15 years like you do it for the love of music but you do it because it's your career of course you need to make money so sometimes when i see bands break up they get a reunion tour out of it oh 100 you know, they get the comeback tour totally and they get the the uh the farewell tour again sure you sure they mean? get yeah they get they, they get the uh, obligatory pay increase. Mm-hmm. It's like they're, they're they're even on the smallest levels. It's like I mean, dude. Like when my band Taken did mm-hmm. stuff. It's like you know we 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 got. I mean, of course it's incremental. It's like you know as opposed to getting paid three dollars a chain reaction, we got like two grand. It was like holy shit. Like, right. it, it, but even even rightfully so. It's like obviously the other bands that you've seen, you know, refused and all that type of stuff. Where it's right. just like you know they, they, you know they at at that glass house show the refused played. Mm-hmm. Dennis was like you know. Our last show in the States was in front of, like, you know, 15 people. Right. It's like, it, it could, I mean, now that people, now that that's kind of uh, 
not saying that that's what Refuse is doing. It's like a no, marketing strategy. Right. I think that's a different thing, but yeah. Totally. But it's like, I mean, now that that idea is in people's heads where it's just like, oh, it could be. And maybe that's obviously why they have to feel they put mm-hmm. that stamp. But yeah, I just, yeah, I, I'm glad that you guys agree that here we go. Like, we don't need to put this. I, yeah, I just think it kind of, it would make us not a relevant current band. We'd seem like an older band. You know? Right. So there was no reason. And there's no reason. And, and the, f- the most important thing is we've never wanted to break up. Right. We've always wanted to put out new music. Right. So. Which, uh, yeah, that's 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 great. Yeah, the the so fire is still there. Tour, and it's so fun touring and, like, seeing the world. And it's cool. We've been to 40 different countries, and, like, there's, like, 40 other ones that we want to go to still, you know? Right. And you have the ability to. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then ra- kind of wrapping things up with, uh, you know, Nations of Fire yeah. like that, um, you know, you guys definitely have, you know, a lot of pedigree with yeah. the band as well. And so the, is the focus on that where it's like, you know, kind of trying to, I mean, tour smartly and kind of like, you know, all right, is it obviously the mentality of like, Hey, let's tour 300 days out of the year right. just isn't realistic. Right. I mean, is it realistic from the standpoint of like, here we are, let's play in front of 20 kids a night. Like, right. you know, that's just. Yeah, no. we're going to try and tour as much as we can with the band. You know, we, we the record's going to come out sometime this year. Sure. And um, it's, you know, it's four guys that have known each other forever from all the different tours we've done together. Sure. It's fun. It's 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 new, and it's something different. And I think, you know, Zoli doing Pennywise is something, you know, definitely different and, you know, of course. interesting for him and stuff. And same thing for me and, uh, I, you know, the whole thing behind Nations of Fire was, like, to do... To do a new band, right, with guys that I know and like, of course. And our kind of mentality was like, for me, sure, and Nick, and I think for all the guys that have, we just we didn't want to do, we didn't want to do the same band that we'd already been in before, right. You don't want to ignite two point yeah, right. Which you know, I we could have write written a bunch of hardcore songs, call it you know, called it whatever, and then put it out. And I think it would have been successful, but sure, it's a little more challenging. I think than what we're doing. We're just not trying to like make make a punk band. We're, we're, we want to make music that's really interesting for us. Right. Sometimes that works for bands. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's a flop. It's like you know. Um, but I I believe in the stuff, and I, I think that you know once we get out there and get the record released and get people hearing it and get touring, that it's it's going to be successful. It's going to be fun. Sure. And like you guys definitely aren't try, like like you said, it could you could have taken the quote unquote easy path, the proverbial easy path. Right. 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 And it's like yeah, do what people are expecting you to do. Right. Um, but then obviously it's like, you know, you're pushing yourself. You're, yeah. you're, well, for one, you're playing, like you said, with people like this isn't a manufactured band. Like at this point right. you could, you could play with other people where you're just like, Oh, I like, I kind of know them, right. but they play, they have this pedigree. Right. And I kind of know them. Right. They have this pet, like, you know, put a super pen together. Or whatever. Right, right, right. But it's like, even though all these other people, like they have done notable things, totally. there's a connection to a direct connection to you. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, as long as we're having fun, that's kind of the most important thing. That's the only thing that I can fall back on. Right. Is every Ignite record we've ever done. And that's my experience with music is doing Ignite. Is if I like it and I believe in it, it's it's been successful so far. So it's for me, that's the formula that's worked. Right. So it's like, that's all I know. Right. So if You're I, like, I can duplicate that. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I believe in something and push it and I, and I, and I you know, I like it and I, I think maybe potentially other people will. Right, right, right. And until that's um, that doesn't work out until, for me, I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> until I'm proven otherwise, yeah. like, uh, well, yeah. I'll keep going. No, totally. I mean, I mean, I've done all kinds of different stuff. Like, Zoli's got some acoustic side stuff. Sure. You guys, and I, you guys I, have and, done Zoli Band together, yeah, that's, right? That's what yeah, I mean. yeah. Right. And that's, like, completely different. And, 100%. Yeah, and that's fun. And sure. I like it. I, you know, I'm just a fan. I'm a fan of music. Right. And um, But you only have so many hours in the day to do 
you know, music. Yeah, to do something quality. Yeah. It's like you don't want to do, so, like, I mean, as evidenced by, you know, your track record, it's like you don't want to do something, like, half-assed. You don't right. want to do something like, oh, yeah, this is kind of just, like, an idea. Yeah. Here, here it is, world. Yeah. Do what you want with it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be fun. It's, we have this European tour coming up in August. Nice. So we're playing a bunch of really great shows around some, like, some cool big festivals. That's great. And I think it's going to be, like, yeah, first opportunity for people to see the band for real. Sure, yeah. sure. That's awesome. Well, I am very glad you came over. Awesome. And thank you for having me out. Cheers. Cheers.